Thanks, guys. That's beautiful. Love you. Uh, we're starting a new series today, and the name of the series is From House to House and From Phone to Phone. Where'd you get that idea, Scott? House to House and Phone to Phone. What are you talking about? Uh, it's in the scripture we're going to read today, so I want to invite you, if you would, when we're in the room together here, and we'll be back in the room together soon. Don't worry. Uh, we stand out of respect for God's word, so I'd invite you, wherever you are, if you're sitting in the recliner, you've got the blanket pulled up, you take the blanket down, you stand up, and uh, participate as we read the scriptures together. So I want to invite you to do that. We'll put the scripture on the screen. I will read it aloud. It's from the book of Acts. It's where we get the title for this series. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks for standing. Uh, the title of the message today, and what I want to talk to you about, uh, wherever you are in the middle of this pandemic, wherever your mindset is, however your circumstances are, is this. Never stop. Never stop. Now, I want, I want to encourage you to never stop. You're tired like I am. You're worn out like I am. Uh, you want this to be over like I do, but I want to encourage you to take this opportunity and learn to never stop. Say that to your neighbor, wherever you're, whoever you're sitting next to, wherever you might be. Turn to them and say, never stop. Never stop. Put it in the comments. Never stop. Now, there are two things I hope to accomplish uh, in today's message. One is a, a big picture thing, and the other is a, a your picture thing. The big picture thing, the macro picture is, and that's what this series is about, is what is the purpose of the church in this new world that we're finding ourselves in? How in the world do we, do we be the church when we can't be together? And we're going to look at the model of the early church in the words of this passage in Acts chapter 5, who never stopped. They never stopped their purpose. No circumstance disrupted their purpose. I want that for you. I want that for us. I want to talk to you, though, also today about your picture, not just the big picture, but your picture, because many of us in the middle of this, uh, we feel on all kinds of levels like we're continual failures, like we're just not doing this right, as though we somehow ought to know our way through a pandemic like this, and we don't. And we're wrestling, and maybe we feel like we're a failure in our relationship with God, or a failure as a husband, or a failure as a friend, you name it. And I want to give you a way forward, and I want today, I, I'm praying and hoping for you that this gives you some measure of freedom. So here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to put some words on the screen. This is a prayer. I want us to pray it together, but I want you to do this. I want you to say this prayer together with me out loud. It's on the screen. Ready? Here we go. This is my prayer for you. Say it like you mean it. Lord, today I'm open to my own freedom and your purposes teach me. Amen. Let's pray it one more time. Ready? Lord, today I'm open to my own freedom and your purposes teach me. Amen. All of God's people said amen. Never stop. Never stop. Never stop. Now listen, here's what I know about life. The thing that you are struggling with only wins when you stop. The thing you are struggling with only wins when you stop. That could be when you stop fighting the effects of the virus. 
That could be when you stop fighting the effects of a failure in your life. That could be when you stop fighting an addiction. That could be when you stop fighting bitterness. That could be when you stop fighting the distance between your, you and your spouse or your children during all this craziness of the pandemic. And I want to encourage you today to not stop, to never stop, to stick a stake in the ground and say, I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to give up. The words of Winston Churchill, I hope they ring in your ears when he said this to the people of England. We will never, no, never, no, never give up. I hope that becomes the, the song of your soul, that you would never stop. Now, uh, we're part of the Church of the Nazarenes, a global tribe of churches. Uh, there's several million people who are part of the Church of the Nazarene around the globe. And the unique thing about uh, our, our tribe of churches is the emphasis that we put on, uh, uh, on your life, that you can become, in this life, you can become more and more like Jesus, that you're never stuck. The Bible's word for that is holiness. That seems like a word often for many that's out of touch. But what that word means is that you're never stuck. It's a word of positive hope. And so I want to encourage you and let you know that you're never stuck. Uh, the message of the Church of the Nazarene, the message of the Scriptures, which is what we're tagging into, is that you are never stuck, that you can continually grow. You can grow in your ability to be generous. You can grow in your understanding. You can grow in your understanding of your purpose. You can grow in your ability to be self-sacrificing for other people. You're never stuck. There's always a next step for you. And that has to start somewhere, that idea that I'm going to always be growing. I'm going to have God's power inside of my mind and heart, and then I'm always going to be growing. That has to start somewhere. That has to be a defining moment when you make the decision, God, I'm going to tap into all of your power so that I never stop. I may get discouraged, but I'm not going to let that stop me. I was at a, a senior high camp uh, when I was, I just graduated, so for all of you that you're, you just graduated and you're wondering what's next, I, I just graduated from high school and I went to a senior high camp and, and it, was a, it was a church camp and, and the, the speaker was speaking one day and he, he gave those words from, that I just quoted to you from Winston Churchill, but he was applying it kind of like I am today to your relationship with God. Never, no, never give up. He said, you gotta, you gotta put a, he called a stake in the ground and decide. And, and I was sitting with um, two of my dearest friends. We're sitting on the front row. I remember this. We'd been friends for a long time. And uh, when, when at the end he said, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to have you come forward. And there were benches like they are here, altars, we call them sometimes. And he said, if you're serious about this and you want to put this stake in the ground, and you, then I, what I want you to do is get up and come forward. And, and we just kind of looked at each other. And we were about from here to the front of the stage. You can't see it right here on the camera. We just looked at each other and we got up and we knelt down and we put a stake in the ground. Now that doesn't mean that our life has been perfect, has not been perfect, there have been plenty of ups and downs. Um, I'm still today in whatever middle age is in middle age land, still serving God and I want, to, want that to happen. The guy sitting to my right is Scott Dooley um, he's been a doctor in Papua New Guinea, serving in the name of Jesus to a very uh, unserved population in the highlands of Papua New Guinea as a doctor. Uh, the person sitting on my left, Jared, he's a pastor today. I'm not, I'm not saying if you drive a stake in the ground, you're going to become a pastor, okay? Some of you are like, whoa, I don't want to do that. Uh, but we made a decision at that moment that we would never stop 
And I want you to make that decision. I want you to decide, I'm never, with God's power, I'm never going to stop. Now, so I'm applying this to you personally, to your picture, where you are. I want to also apply this to the purpose of the church, because we can, in the words of the passage in Acts chapter 5, we, we have to be what the disciples were about, never stop sharing the good news. And I want to zero in on that. And, and wouldn't, wouldn't it be fantastic, though, if you could, if you could say, well, Scott, that was great, you know, let's pray right now, and I'm going to make that prayer, and it's gonna, my life's going to be fantastic from here forward. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? The reality is right when you try to do that, you bump into some problems. I think there are three, and I want to give you three problems I think we need to overcome. One of them is very immediate, and two, always are hovering in the background. Here's, here's the first one that we have to overcome, and, and I feel it and you feel it, and the first problem is that right now, in this present moment, we are all worn down. Uh, can I get an amen in the comments, right? Just type amen, raise a hand. I don't do something in the comments that just says, yeah, I'm with you. We've had normal interrupt, disrupted, and, and honestly, we want normal back, and we don't know when it will be back. And so when you hear something like, never stop sharing the good news, you're kind of like exhausted, and so this could feel like one more weight onto you, and you say, well, how do I do that in this world? Now, I know something about pain, because I've experienced pain in my life. This is what I know about pain, and maybe this helps you. Pain has a tendency to make you selfish. Have you ever been working in the garage, and you've had a hammer, and you've had a nail, and you've taken the hammer, and you had every good intention to hit the nail squarely on the head, and you miss the nail, and you hit your thumb? Have you ever felt this, right? Like, in that moment, I could drive up into your driveway and say, quick, I've got to have you hear me. You, you wouldn't hear me at all. Your pain would have you focused on yourself. All you can think about when you are in pain, and the worse the pain, the more severe this is, you can only think about yourself. And we're all honestly really hurting. I, now, real talk, I'm sick of this too. Again, amen in the comments. Now, here's the problem we have to overcome. We have to figure this out. How do I deal with the pain and grief that I'm feeling? How do I get over it? It's important. Second problem is this, is that if we're going to never stop sharing the good news, then we need permission to do it differently than we are currently doing it, or maybe even not doing it at all. Now, this is the word here, and uh, for some of you, this is going to give send a chill up your spine when I say this word. For some of you, you're going to go, why is that even a big deal? Um, but this is the word we're talking about. We're talking about the word evangelism. Uh, hot word today. Uh, there are uh, people on the payroll of Apple, people on the payroll of Google, um, people on the payroll of large tech companies, and when you get their business card, it says, you know, their name and their contact information and phone number, and, and the job title is evangelist. So there's someone who is paid to spread and announce the good news of Apple. Now, I, I mean, come on, let's get a witness for Apple if you're an Apple fan. I'm an Apple fan. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not against that, but they're doing, they're doing evangelism. And, and honestly, when I, when I give you this word, I say, hey, evangelism, uh, there's, two, there's two different crowds that hear this word and, and that need permission to do it differently. And, and one crowd, let me just talk to you, the people who are kind of my age up a little bit, uh, that word may have given you chills. And the reason that gave you chills is not a good kind of chill, but what came over you is a sense of obligation that you're not doing something that you're supposed to be doing because good Christians share their faith and you aren't really doing so hot at that, at least you think. 
and this expectation is sitting on your shoulder like a giant. Now here, I think I know why. Um, the reason is, and I grew up around this, uh, you were told, you know, you're supposed to share your faith, you're supposed to evangelize, you're supposed to witness. What that usually amounted to was cold calling for Jesus. Do you, are you getting the phone calls that I'm getting during the pandemic? Does it seem like they've increased? And now my phone recognizes it and says potential spam. You know what I mean? And you pick up the phone and it's, you may not have paid for the warranty on your car. There's one more chance. You know, I've listened to it enough times. And I'm, how, who are these people? Why do they keep calling me on this issue? Uh, but it's like that, right? You, no one likes a cold call. Like out of the blue, boom. And, and you've, if you've been around this for a while, you've heard people that have the, you know, like super extroverted and gregarious and they know how to strike up a conversation with strangers and, you know, they used to be a mob boss and on drugs and they went through six wives and then they meet Jesus and then everywhere they go, they are great at, because some people are great at cold calling, they're great at cold calling for Jesus and they come and they tell you their story and you sit in the seats and you cry and you're like, yes, I'm supposed to do that. And you commit to go doing that and then you go out on Monday and you see the people that you see every week and you're like, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't do that. And, and, and so you feel like, I'm, I don't really know how to do that, and I, I'm just a failure. And, and you, you feel this sense of guilt and shame. Now listen, this is what I know about guilt and shame. Guilt and shame as motivators are like putting kerosene into a 747. It won't get far, and it's going to blow the engine, and the likely event is there's going to be a horrific crash. And if that's you, you're in that boat, and I know that's some of you. You need permission to do it a different way, and you have it. And we're, over this course of this series, we're going to learn um, how to do that in a different way. And it's going to surprise you how simple it is. Second, a group of you, and you're maybe younger, is when you hear the word evangelism or, you know, converting people, you hear that as a dirty word, and it's maybe regressive or assumptive or rude or imperialistic to try and convert someone because you're operating with a cultural ought that we ought not try to convert people. Like that's somehow a moral wrong. And I got to tell you though, if that's you, if you're in that boat, I get it. I get the understanding. But I want to suggest to you that that does not square with actual human practice because we try to convert people all the time. Just post any opinion that you have about anything on Facebook and just wait a hot minute, right? And people are going to be like, oh yeah, well, I think. <laughs> and they're going to try to persuade you and convince you that you need to do it their way. We are trying to convert each other all of the time. So I've got a question for you if you're in that camp and you're like, yeah, I'm really not, I really shouldn't do that. It really shouldn't happen. You're persuading people all the time, but are you, what you're trying to persuade people to do is it giving them life, you know? So you ought to care about what gives people life. So the problem we got to work through is how do I change how I think about sharing my faith? We're going to learn how to do that differently together, okay? Uh, third thing is this, is we all have uh, giants, I'm calling it giants on our shoulders. What is a giant on my shoulder, Scott? What are you talking about? Well, a giant on your shoulder is the voice of someone or something that you are more present to than the person that's right in front of you, right? You're hearing their voice dictate to you what you need to be doing, and you're not paying attention to the person right in front of you. Are you, are you tracking with me? 
I'll give you three. Um, three are, one of them is, is guilt and shame. Now, we all, we all wrestle with this. I call it the shame cycle. We're going to put this on the screen so you can see what I mean by this. But the shame cycle goes like this. You've got some sense of obligation of what you ought to do. Insert whatever you think that might be in your life. You do it, and you don't do it so great, and you fail. And you're like, ah, I should have done better, and you should on yourself. And you're, you're telling yourself all kinds of things, like, I'm, I'm no good. I can't get this right. So you go, I'm going to try harder. And so you try harder. You're like, I'm going to double down. I'm really going to do this. Like if you ter- interpret this in spiritual terms, God, I really mean it this time. And then you, do, you fail again, and so you quit, but then you feel guilty, and you go back to the obligation, and it's just like wash, rinse, and repeat. And here's what the shame cycle does inside of us. It becomes this narrative in our mind and heart that says, I have to do this right or I am wrong, right? So, so shame can sit on your shoulder like a giant, like I can't screw this up. And so you can't be present to the people in front of you because you're always worried in the back. You're, there's that giant on your shoulder saying, don't screw this up or you're, you're a screw up. Second one is this, is the, I'm just going to give you the category. It's they, right? Especially if you grew up in the church, the, the they. There's the people you think are important. What will they think of me? And I don't want to remind you, even if you're a, a person who's a part of, of the church, um, I just want to remind you that the opinions of the people around you, they're fine, but they are not Jesus. It's only Jesus' opinion that matters. Last week, uh, I had to record my message early because I had to go visit my dad um, in Dallas. And so um, if you were watching the service last week, um, I I inserted into that. I went all around town and I had pictures of, you know, where are we going to find people? And it's talking about, you know, people who are fools. We need to be a church for fools. And so I went all these different places and I I went down to Derby um, and I I, I didn't want to search for this in my phone. So I asked Larry Page, our student pastor, and I said, hey, um, is there an area in Wichita that's known for its strip clubs? You know, I was like, I didn't want to search for that. Pastor searches for switch strip clubs in Wichita. I didn't want to do that. And so um, I, I'm feeling kind of, I'm like, okay, I was at, there was a they, there was a giant on my shoulder. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, but what are they going to think? And I was trying to think, who is they? And then I realized, wait a second, wait a second. Those are the people that Jesus would be going for, and it's only his opinion that counts. So I went down there and I filmed the little thing, right? But the they can rest on your shoulder like a giant. And then the third thing that's a giant on our shoulder can be you, right? You're more interested in your own comfort than the need of the person in front of you. Um, I'll tell you a positive story. This is going to sound like I'm all that in a bag of chips, but I'm not. And I'll, I'll tell you what was going on inside my head when this happened. But um, I, I, my sister-in-law works for a department store. And um, I, I said to her one Christmas, I said, hey, there's a certain kind of shoe. It's, it's an Adidas makes called Stan Smiths. And they're made out of leather, and they're kind of like this style icon thing. And I was really like, I was like, I really want a pair. I'd like Google Stan Smiths. And I'm like, all right, those look good. And, and I, so I'm, I'm like, hey, do you think you can get me a discount on some Stan Smiths? She's like, yeah, man, maybe, maybe I can't. Well, Christmas comes around. She's in the box. Oh, yay. And so I I'm, have the shoes on one day, and uh, I'm, in, I'm in the office. And we had people who would come by on a kind of routine basis and ask for things. And we had kind of a, a process for helping people when they needed help. And this guy came by. His name was Ben. And uh, Ben, obviously, you look at Ben, and you know Ben's not doing well, right? That kind of person. And so Ben's in there, and um, I've got my Stan Smiths on, right? And I've got my gym bag in the car, because after the service, I'm going to the gym. 
And uh, so I'm like, okay, all right, I, I got my stance. And I look, I look, I happen to talk to Ben, and I'm like, what do you need, Ben? And you know, here, here's how we can help you, and and help him a little bit. And and then I look, I I made the mistake in the moment. This is what I thought in the moment, of looking down at his shoes. And you could see his toes. And we lived where it got really cold in the winter. And then I made the mistake of looking further down at me wearing my super sweet Stan Smiths, right? And I said, I'm like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm not a good pastor. I said, I didn't want to, I promise you. I don't, don't think I'm all that in the package. I said, so Ben, what size shoes do you wear? I, I wore 10 and a half. So I'm like, oh dear God, please don't let them be 10 and a half. Dear's gonna let it be 10 and a half. Let it be a 13, let it be a 13. And you know what he says? Mmm, 10 and a half. And I'm like, okay, Ben. I mean, it's like the most reluctant <laughs> way of doing something good you could possibly. I was more concerned about me. Sure, he got the shoes, right? But I, I still am like, those turns. Right? giant, you can be a giant on your own shoulder. Now, I, I want to set you free. And, and I, I, I want to give you permission to go past your pain. I want to give you permission to do things differently. And I want to give you permission to take the giants off your shoulder so we can do what the disciples did. Never stop sharing the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so let's, let's explore this for a second, right? The disciples day after day in the temple courts Acts says, um, from house to house, they never stop teaching. Now, do you know the context of this? Now, you could look this up in Acts chapter 5, but let me give you the context of this. Uh, the disciples had just been arrested by the religious leaders and the Roman authorities, and they had been questioned, and because they did not like that they were talking about Jesus, the Messiah, uh, they were mad, and so they had the disciples flogged. Flogged means you take this long leather thing, and you whip someone repeatedly until their back is like hamburger, right? That's what flogging means. It's not like, oh, bad guy. It, you flog the person, and they really hurt. And they said, don't talk about this Jesus person anymore. Cut it out. And verse, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, they called the apostles in, had them flogged, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The disciples left the Sanhedrin, get this, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What? I mean, this is actual persecution. I understand the people who are like, don't make me wear a mask, you're da-da-da-da. That is not persecution. You can be irritated by it. You're welcome to be irritated by it. You're welcome to post on Facebook about how irritating it is if someone makes you wear a mask. That is not, do not mistake that for being flogged for 39 times for talking about Jesus. Don't make them the same mistake, okay? And if you say, well, I could never do that. I could never endure that kind of a thing. Well, I want, to, I want you to consider that your current fuel source for following Jesus might not be like it was for the disciples the love of God. So let's unpack this for just a second. Uh, let's just go right through this, this, this verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, and make sure we understand what happened day after day, right? They never stopped. They got up and they, day after day, day after day after day, they got up and they did the same thing, even with interruptions. Now, I, you got to pause, right? And you got to ask yourself, what kind of motivational system would lead a person to day after day do the same things with setback after setback, with actual persecution, with a change in circumstances, 
what, would it, what kind of motivational system would, would get them to do that? Listen, i got to tell you something. It is not a motivational system of shame and guilt. It is 100% for the disciples was the motivation system of the love of God for them. This is how the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ compels me. It was the love that God had for them that compelled them. You know, we sing this song, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. Leaves the 99. You've got to understand that God loves you. And through this pandemic, maybe God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to say to you over and over again, I love you. I love you. I love you. Let that beat on your chest until it enters your heart and changes who you are. If you don't have that same fuel source, you'll never, if you'll be like, first sign of persecution, I'm out. And where did they do this? In the temple courts and from house to house. Temple courts would be, you know, like our building here. And I know you're anxious to return mid-June or so. We're working through some protocols and practices to keep our most vulnerable safe. Uh, you'll hear a specific, some specific plans about that. And I know you're probably losing your mind and you want to be back. I want to be back. I'm tired of, of preaching to just Larry, who sits right down over here um, every Sunday. I love Larry, but, you know, he's the only one. He's not even saying amen. What's going on? And so uh, I'm tired of that, right? And so they did it in temple courts, right? But they, then they did it from house to house. And, and I'm going to challenge you a little bit. And I, I get their safety things and health things, and, and, but long term, long term. We have to rethink about our houses because um, if you're a person in, in this day and age who is far from God, I'm, I'm just going to dare say that, a, that a, a Christian church building might be a barrier at some point in that person's journey, but your home might not be. Like the people who are ready, they might venture into a building like this, but a, probably a lot more people would come into your home. And so we're gonna, it's going to require us to think differently about hospitality. Now, listen, some of you are doing this. And during this pandemic, your driveway has become holy ground because you sit outside at night and you put chairs socially distanced in a circle and you laugh with your neighbors. And that's holy ground. And you're doing that from house to house. But they, that's how the disciples did it, from temple courts and house to house. And, and they were teaching and they were proclaiming. Um, the word teaching there means... Uh, um, carefully explaining the way of Jesus. Listen, to be a disciple does not mean you have a certain level of Bible knowledge or theology knowledge. Listen, I've got two degrees in Bible and theology. I know a ton. But if I don't apply what I know in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, I'm an utter fool. So discipleship is not about adding to your information pile. It's about explaining the way of Jesus and the, 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 the message of Jesus that then you take and apply so that you obey what Jesus said is best. And, and, and I, gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta tell you, Christians are meant to be people of action. And so the disciples, they taught, and then they proclaimed, which is the, the word there. Um, think about, like, you know, you, you have a baby, and um, it's been this way for a long time. You know, when we, our, we had our kids, we made, you know, announcements, and then we sent the announcement out 
of the arrival of this baby. We were, we were heralds of the good news of the arrival of our children. And, and that's what the disciples were doing. That's what that word proclaiming means, is they, were, they saw themselves as heralds of the king. They were the announcement of good news. And you were sent to your neighborhood to announce good news. And you were sent to your workplace to announce good news uh, of what has happened, of, of Jesus who's come into the world and offered himself on a cross and risen from the dead and has ascended into heaven. You're to announce that over and over in a multitude of ways. Now, we're going to learn how to do that in a really practical way. Now, what did they teach and they proclaim? The good news. This is, it's viral. Um, I looked up how a virus works because, you know, it's a virus. I'm like, maybe I should understand how a virus works. And the way a virus works is it it's a, has a, a, a receptors on it, and then it finds points of reception in a cell, and it connects with the host, and then it replicates. Um, I looked up this guy, John Coffin. He uh, works at Tufts University. And this is what he said. It's really kind of fascinating. He said, a virus is simply a piece of information, and its sole business is to make more of itself. That's its only job. It's technically not even classified as a living organism. Now, of course, COVID is a virus, but there are other things that are viruses too. Anxiety is a virus. Finds a receptor in you, gets inside of you, replicates, your whole body's filled with anxiety. Fear is a virus. Finds a receptor in you. Fear is a virus. Tran you transfer fear to someone else. Replicates throughout a group of people. But so is hope. And so is good news. Now, what was the good news they shared? The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah means it was an anointed one, chosen one, the one picked by God for our salvation. I'll give you a word for Messiah that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you've ever looked for. Took a picture on the Mount of Olives facing Jerusalem. Um, we're going to put it on the screen here. And you can see Jerusalem, that's the walled city you kind of see in front of you there with the Dome of the Rock. And down below are graves. Those are predominantly Jewish graves. And what happens with those Jewish graves are very, very expensive, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to be buried there because um, not far, if you're looking at the Dome of the Rock, just to the right of it would be the Eastern Gate where they say the Messiah is going to come, the Jewish people believe, and they want to be buried right there because they're looking forward to the fulfillment of all things, and they want to be the first at the resurrection to see the Messiah when he comes, the fulfillment of all things. Now, I, I, this is what I'm trying to say to you, is the, the plot lines of the human heart, if you, you see, this is what we do, this is how we operate. We think that we, if we can line up all the plans of our life and we do it in the right order, then everything will come together and everything will be fulfilled. But the fulfillment that we are all looking for is not in our plans, it is in a person, is in the person of Jesus. We have a call on Monday nights with the, the leaders of our classes and groups, and um, Wayne Huxman, who's one of our uh, just teachers, an amazing, amazing guy, he said, you know, he said, you know, I, we've been studying John, and in John chapter 9, there was this blind man, and um, he, Jesus heals the blind man in John chapter 9, and, and all these religious leaders come in, and they try and say, you know, Jesus is not the Messiah, he's not the promised one, he's not the fulfillment, you know, you, 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 were, you, were, you were a mess, and the blind man's like, listen, I don't know any theology, I don't know the Bible, I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is that I was blind, I was blind, and now I see. And Wayne said, you know what, we're, we're asking everybody in our class to write down there, I was blind, and now I see. Because Jesus is 
the Messiah. He's the fulfillment. He's what you're looking for. The plot lines of your heart find their fulfillment in a person, not in the culmination of your plans. So what do we do next? How do we, how do we find freedom? How do we find comfort for our pain and grief? Well, we do that in the love of God. Uh, and I, I want to give you permission to do this differently as you learn to share your faith and never stop sharing the good news. I want to help you take the giants off your shoulder, recognize that they're there and say, I don't need those giants anymore. I just need the voice of God that loves me. And so how, do, how are we going to do that? Well, I want to give you a simple way forward. We um, looked at it last week a little bit in Colossians chapter um, uh, 4, but this is, this is it. I'm just going to unpack this for you just in a couple minutes here. Colossians 4 says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Never stop sharing the good news uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. Listen, um, here's how Paul starts. He starts with talking to God. So talking with people about God doesn't start with talking to people about God. It starts with talking to God about people. And the first disciples were in the grip of their connection to God, not in the grip of people's opinions about them. They were free, and that's why they could never stop. And so if we're going to have any measure of that, then we're going to have to devote ourselves to the same things that the Apostle Paul said, probably the most effective missionary in human history next to Jesus. We have to do what he did and start where he started, devoting ourselves to pray. He says, watch and pray. When you, so when you pray this week, let's, let's just experiment with this, can we? I want you to pray two things specifically in the mornings. I start in the mornings. I read the Psalms. I'm going through Psalm 119 right now. I read a little section. And then I usually pray the Lord's Prayer and I personalize it for my day. I'm like, God, here's, my, here's me and myself for you today. But I, w- I, want you to, I want you to do some version of that if you don't already have a practice like that. And I want you to pray and to, that you'd be watchful. So here's a way to say that. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Say that out loud with me. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Drop that in the comments. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. In other words, help me to notice and see what's really happening around me. Ask God to help you make the pandemic serve you. You know what's been great about this pandemic? For those of us who are comfortable in our air-conditioned homes with refrigerators and a store we can go down to and get milk and a tap that we turn on and we have clean water, You know what's great is this can help us grow our compassion for the poor and for the oppressed who God cares about deeply. I mean, we're getting like this much of a taste of what it's like to be severely inconvenienced in our life. But if you've been in places of deep, deep poverty globally, you go, oh man, I got no problems, (laughs) none. And you can say, God, make me watchful. Help me to see what it's like. And you're also feeling, you and I, if you don't struggle with mental illness, you're feeling of some of what it's like to feel like you're trapped. No way out. And it can grow compassion in your heart. Instead of you saying, when is it going to be back to normal? No, no, be watchful. God, I need to, I need to watch. I need to see what's really happening. And I'm so focused on me getting relief from my pain. Help me to see beyond myself. And then you can ask God to help make the pandemic serve you and propel you forward to see the needs of people uh, in a new way. So be watchful. Second thing Paul says is that we'd be thankful. So you pray it like this. Holy Spirit, make me grateful. Say that with me, would you? Holy Spirit, make me grateful. 
Holy Spirit, make me grateful. And that means you're thankful. When you're thankful, it makes you notice what you couldn't produce on your own. And that points you back to the love of God for you. So would you try that with me this week? Would you start your day with prayer? Devote yourselves to prayer. Start where Apostle Paul started. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see what's really going on, the needs of people around you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be grateful. And I want to pray that for you right now as we begin this laboratory together for the next six days of learning how to do this differently so that we never stop sharing the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to pray for you right now. So would you bow your head wherever you are and um, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would do this in you. Would you pray with me? So, Holy Spirit, um, search our hearts. We're your people you love, that you bought with your own blood on the cross. We're your people that you now, um, because you have risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, you've now filled with your Holy Spirit. So we've got everything that you have at our disposal. We admit, though, God, we don't always know how to turn on all the tools that you've given us. And so we want to learn how to do that. Lord, we bring you our pain and we bring you our grief right now. We are, many of us, really suffering. We're really having a difficult time. We really want things to be back to normal and we need your love to surround us. Thank you that you don't reject us, that you're never overwhelmed by how broken we are. Instead, your love surrounds us and brings calm to our hearts and our spirits. Thank you that you have no shame and condemnation if we're struggling with pain and grief today. So we receive the love of God for our hurt right now. Some of us have lost loved ones and we haven't been able to grieve and we've not had opportunities that we thought we would have and we grieve all of those things and we bring our grief to you. Thank you that it's safe there. Lord, give us permission to do this differently. We've been so stuck with the giants on our shoulder that have been telling us how to operate that we don't know a different way. We want a different way, a way of freedom. We want, we want the kind of freedom the disciples had so that they day after day after day after day, they never stopped. Oh God, put that kind of passion in us. Start with me. So God, here we give you this next, next six days of experimenting, of learning to be watchful, of learning to be thankful. Holy Spirit, help us to see. Holy Spirit, make us grateful. And all of these things we pray in the very strong name of Jesus, the name above every name, at which one day it's coming, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth pray this and we say, 